Hello and welcome to episode two of the Viva Alberto's podcast. My name is Ben Humphrey. I'm the site manager at VivaAlbertos.com, a St. Louis Cardinals blog and community. I'm joined today by Joe Schwartz. He is one of the editors at Viva Alberto's. Uh, he also does a fair amount of uh, tweeting uh, on the Viva Alberto's Twitter account, which you can follow um, on Twitter, and the handle is at Viva Alberto's. Joe's personal Twitter account is at STL Cup of Joe. That's at STL C-U-P-O-F-J-O-E. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at B underscore G underscore H. And Joe, it's Monday night, September 1st. It's Labor Day. And the St. Louis Cardinals are in sole possession of first place in the National League Central. Pretty amazing. Yeah, considering the expectations going in, um, I would have assumed that this would be the situation, but I would not have pictured um, the way it's gotten to this point. I would have expected them to possibly be running away with the division at this point and not going months upon end without seeing first place solely, but I'm not going to complain about it. Well, no, we are certainly uh, not in a place to complain with the underperformance on offense, the injuries to the pitching staff, the negative run differential, (laughs) yet somehow the Cardinals uh, have overtaken the Brewers and they are standing alone atop the National League Central Division standings after a thrilling 5-4 to win over the Pittsburgh Pirates this afternoon at Bush Stadium. And Joe, Matt Holliday continued to just destroy the ball um, today, and he is just white hot. And when he gets like this, he's capable of carrying a team, and frankly, I don't know how we would have fared in the Cubs series without him. And, and it was funny, I was listening to the game on the radio today because I was on my way home from the Lake of the Ozarks and the uh, fabulous Mike Shannon had one of my favorite quotes I think I've ever heard of. I heard from him, a Shannonism of sorts. And he said he's, that Holiday was swinging the hottest bat on this side of heaven. And <laughs> I, I have no idea what that means, but... He said the same exact thing his next plate appearance. So Mike Shannon is dead set on, I guess, his like Bush Stadium being one side of heaven or something. I don't know. Well, I, I think he's saying we aren't in heaven. Matt Holliday isn't in heaven. But somewhere up in heaven, there's a baseball game being played. And Stan Musial's probably swinging a pretty hot bat. Yeah, uh, he actually did bring up Stan Musial. So that might actually be the case on that one. And uh, you were traveling today. You probably didn't get to see it on the ESPN Stats and Info blog. Mark Simon, who's a really fun Twitter follow, he does a lot of stuff with hard-hit balls. Um, And the ESPN Stats and Info Twitter account is also a fun follow. They just have a lot of interesting tidbits uh, that they share throughout the baseball season. And, the, and you know, they don't just fo- – well, Mark Simon does a lot of baseball, but ESPN Stats and Info doesn't focus exclusively on baseball. But during the baseball season, uh, they have a lot of little fun odds and ends. 
And Simon wrote uh, a pretty interesting article about Matt Holliday and how, at least in terms of runs batted in, uh, the second half of the season, he really is a second-half player. Uh, he averages around 120, he, uh, 120 RBI per 162-game pace in the season's second half compared to a 98 RBI game. Uh, excuse me, 98 RBIs per 162-game pace during the first half. And I think I've got those numbers right. I read it this morning, but they're still pretty fresh in my head. And I thought that was pretty interesting because we've we've seen it here today, and, and he had yet more runs batted in uh, in this afternoon's game. And not only is he driving the runs in, but they're coming in at really – they're coming at really big spots. Uh, dare I say that Matt Holliday is – perhaps the most clutch Cardinal this year when he has a bat in his hand? I mean, I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I, I've i always heard people say that he's not clutch and he's getting his RBIs with the, with the team up by a lot or down by a lot or bases empty. He's hitting a lot of solo home runs compared to home runs with, with runners on base. But something that I found pretty funny today, actually, as I was following the game online or on the radio and on Twitter was the Cardinals account actually even called him Mr. Clutch at one point. So it's, it's kind of like they were not necessarily trolling, but it's kind of funny that when you hear a lot of people say one thing and then even the Cardinals official account is calling him Mr. Clutch and he's coming up with, like you said, big hit after big hit the second half that I really have no idea how, where the Cardinals would be without him right now. And I think that there is a minority segment that is very vocal uh, among the Cardinals fan base that for whatever reason, I don't know if it's his contract. I don't know if it's, you know, they don't like the way his tattoo comes out on his arm below his shirt sleeve. I don't know what it is. Uh, but they don't like Matt Holiday, And as he just keeps producing, producing, and producing year in and year out, sort of the last place that they can find refuge is this notion that somehow he is not a clutch performer. And I think the fact that he played during the 2011 postseason with a, with a back injury and then wound up getting injured so that he could not play uh, remember, he was removed early from Game 6 and did not play in Game 7. And I think that's kind of uh, informed that criticism. But, you know, last year in the postseason, Holiday had big hit after big hit. And he's about seemingly the only one who is hitting well for the Cardinals throughout most of October. Uh, if you'll remember, we really rode the pitching staff to the pennant last year. Um, and now this year, uh, with the offense... Uh, down and Holiday was a part of that, and I don't mean to give him a free pass on that. Uh, pretty much everyone, but Peralta and Adams and Yachty, though Yachty's numbers down a bit, and then obviously he wasn't hitting at all when he was on the DL. Um, but everyone sort of saw their numbers sag. But here we've we've gotten that patented Holiday late season just white hot streak and the Cardinals are riding it. And uh, now they're, they're a nose ahead of the Brewers after, I mean, gosh, almost five months. 
if I remember correctly, the Brewers have had a share of first place every day of this season since April 5th, Joe. <laughs> and now they are looking at Redbird tail feathers. And let's hope that uh, they're going to be looking at them the rest of the way. Um, but as I wrote in my article on Yadier Molina's return uh, last Friday or a couple days ago, I said that they've played, they've been consistently inconsistent all season. And I know it doesn't really make sense to most people, but I believe that they've really shown that. And I hope that they can find that regular consistency and, and the Brewers can be looking up to us the rest of the way. And Joe, I think that general manager John Mosellock was hoping that the pitching he added at the trade deadline would help to propel the Cardinals into first place, but there's no way to dance around the reality that the Cardinals are in first place in spite of Justin Masterson who they traded outfield prospect James Ramsey for at the trade deadline. Uh, Masterson has struggled with his control and uh, a little bit with his velocity as well. And today they announced that he will be moving to the bullpen. And I thought that was kind of interesting because you'll recall when the Cardinals acquired Masterson, he was on the disabled list and was on a rehab stint in the minor leagues. And the Indians pitching coach indicated that he thought that Masterson's knee injury, which landed him on the DL, uh, was the cause of his problems during this season. He's been walking a lot of people. And general manager John Mosellock, uh told uh, Bernie Micklets of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that he and, and the Cardinal staff felt that Masterson's woes could be corrected by mechanical adjustments. And we've heard a lot of rumbling about changing how much he's bending knees and then throwing out of the stretch. They've tried a lot of things, but nothing's worked. Yeah, it, it's an unfortunate situation, especially giving up a, a prospect of the quality of James Ramsey. I mean, he's not a top prospect by any means, but... I mean, some people had him rated as a top prospect, but based on his age, um, he had a pretty bright future. And it's one of those gambles that you're okay with at the time, but hindsight's twenty twenty. And uh, I mean, yeah, it looks really, it doesn't look very smart now. Um, but given the, the state of the pitching staff, and as you mentioned earlier, with the the injuries that they faced and how there, what, there wasn't really a bat available. Like The best way that Mosellac could address it was by adding some arms. And it's unfortunate that Masterson hasn't panned out as a starter. But who knows, maybe his sinker ball or he has a pretty high strikeout percentage. He's around 20%. Um, so if he can get some sort of control back, he might actually be a threat out of the bullpen. If he, if he knows where he's throwing the ball, I mean he could be a threat in certain situations. Well, and you also wonder if going out there in shorter bursts might help him get a better handle on his mechanics and maybe his release point, and that he might be able to harness his control in a way that allows him to be effective. And Masterson is a pitcher 
you know, he's kind of got that, I don't want to call it a three-quarter delivery, but he's certainly more a slinger than an over-the-top guy. And because of that, he's always had a bit of a platoon split. Uh, lefties hit him a lot better than righties. And you look at him perhaps as a reliever, he could be pretty tough on right-handed batters with that uh, fastball-slider combination. So, you know, you hope that they're able to get some positive input from Masterson here over the last month. Um, but I just find it interesting that the Masterson experiment lasted about a month and that it didn't really seem to get underway until after a couple of starts. And then they went in and started tinkering with his mechanics. And, you know, given the urgency of the pennant race, uh, it, it was just a very curious decision to see the Cardinals uh, go out and get a reclamation project who had suffered from health issues and mechanical issues and it seems like maybe the Cardinals thought more highly of their ability to correct Masterson with mechanical uh, adjustments than what the reality was there. And I know you were talking about his release point uh, earlier in a post that you wrote that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, and ever since you wrote that, Joe, I mean, I've been trying to pay much more attention to his release point. And it just kind of feels like he doesn't have much of an idea <laughs> of where his release point is. And as a result, he doesn't have much of an idea of where the ball is going. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Control is paramount. And if he doesn't show it in relief, I mean, I think he's going to be buried down there in that bullpen and, and he might not be used much at all. Yeah. And, and again, that would be unfortunate um, from a, a trade value standpoint. Um, but given the situation the Cardinals were in, like I like I I don't want to sound like a broken record. It's one of those times that you might be okay with it. Now, if Ramsey goes out and becomes a, a superstar someday, or becomes an above-average major leaguer, you're a little more disappointed about it. But I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's baseball. It's a business. You got to take some risks sometimes. And and with the way Mosellock's been, he he's created that cushion. Um, cushion with the fan base and with baseball minds that he can make or take some risks sometimes and still be okay. And and I think giving up Ramsey, I, I know there are some folks who are high on him, but I think, and I have no inside information on this, and I want to be perfectly clear about that. But if you look at the way the Cardinals have used Ramsey this year uh, in terms of where they've assigned him, and then you look at the other players that they have in the outfield, and then you look at who they traded Ramsey for, you know, a starting pitcher with some serious question marks. And, you know, I got to tell you, I, I look at all of that, and I look at Ramsey, you know, he's older uh, than Piscotti, Tavares, um, and Grichik. He's also older than Charlie Tilson, who made his way to double-A and played alongside Ramsey this season. Um, and so I, I really think the Cardinals looked at who they have in their system in the outfield and that Ramsey was expendable. And, you know, you also have to couple that and look at some of the doubts that have followed Ramsey about his ability to stick as a center fielder. And then if he's not a center fielder, will he be able to hit enough 
to play the corner positions. And a lot of folks, I think, see him as a fourth outfield type. And so I think you're seeing that kind of baked in, and the Cardinals may not even be that high on him. Uh, and that's why they traded him for Masterson. Now, do I hope that James Ramsey bursts onto the major league scene and has a long and successful major league career? Of course I do. Um, you know, I want that for all the prospects. I grew up in a AAA town. <laughs> you know, I want all these guys to do well. Um, but what I'm saying is I think that on, at the end of July of this year, I don't think the Cardinals were all that high on James Ramsey, especially when compared to the other outfielders at AA and above. And so they were willing to part with him in a fairly risky bet on Justin Masterson. And now we've seen the Cardinals, they aren't going to stick to their guns here. They're trying to win a division. And I think they do deserve some credit for that, Um, that they took a gamble. The gamble didn't pay off but they're going to cut bait on it and they aren't going to stick with Masterson in the rotation if he's hurting their chances. So I, I think, uh, you know, Mosellock and Matheny deserve some credit on recognizing, not that it was, it was very hard to recognize that Masterson is not contributing in a positive way to the rotation uh, and then removing him from it. But the removal poses an interesting question, Joe, because on Saturday – the, the doubleheader against the Cubs, we had uh, three pitchers pitch. Masterson, who was not good, Tyler Lyons, who was quite good, and Marco Gonzalez, who was pretty good. And so uh, the Cardinals have optioned Gonzalez and Lyons uh, down to double-A for today. That season ends, so they're probably going to come back to the majors tomorrow. Um, and that's a little quirk of the demotion system. They don't have to stay down in the minor leagues for 10, uh, 10 days. If the minor league team they've been assigned to, uh, their season ends and Derek Gould and Bernie talked about that on the best podcast in baseball, really interesting segment, by the way, on a wonderful podcast. And so we're going to have lions and Gonzalez back up. And then we also have Michael Walker throwing 34 pitches, yesterday for Springfield uh, in a rehab start. And so what do, you, what do you see in terms of how the Cardinals will fill out their rotation here down the home stretch? Um, down the home stretch, I, I believe by the end of the season, um, the Cardinals are hoping, and, and based on the, the steps that have been taken and based on the performances we have seen, that Waka is – going to shore up the very end of it, but that's by the end of the season. So immediately, I'd like to see Tyler Lyons get another shot. I realize he's had a lot of opportunities over not just this season, but last season, and he's been hit around a little bit, but he's been able to show in at least small sample sizes that he can be successful, and he can be the type of pitcher that misses bats, and He's a lefty, and I think his performance in yesterday or two days ago's game uh, warrants another shot in the rotation. And if you look at his pitch FX data, he should be a successful pitcher realistically because every single one of his pitches just moves like crazy. And 
that has to be, unless you're Joe Kelly, who also had his pitches move like crazy and he never missed bats. But if, as a lefty, I, I feel like Tyler Lyons at least deserves another look um, in the rotation, and I don't know what you think about that one. Well, I'm I'm a Tyler Lyons fan. Um, he's the type of guy that I just, in the back of my mind, I kind of always expected, and it didn't happen this year or last year for that matter, but I always expected him to somehow wind up in the rotation, likely due to injury, and just grab a hold of a spot in it and never let it go. And, and you mentioned he's a left-handed pitcher. Uh, he he has command of all of his pitches, and he can deploy them uh, with a bit of polish. Um, and you see that uh, when you watch him pitch in the minors, which, oddly enough, I've only ever seen him pitch in AAA, uh, even though you know I make it up in, to quite a few Cardinals games. Tyler Lyons and I just we haven't crossed paths in the major leagues yet. Um, and some folks say, well, that may be well and good that he can do well in AAA, but he hasn't been all that great in the majors. And that's certainly true. Uh, he has not done a very good job of stranding runners on base, but there's no reason to expect that not to go up. And I think when you look at the choice that presents itself right now, or the choice says, uh, you have Marco Gonzalez. I saw his major league debut in Colorado, uh, along with, I think about 500 of the Marco Gonzalez fan club that is headquartered in the Denver area. And that was a lot of fun, especially when he uh, struck out Troy Tulowitzki with that changeup that we've heard so much about. Um, but what became very clear throughout as the game went on, I mean, my brother was calling out his curveball mid-windup, and we were sitting about 20 rows up. And if my brother is able to do that, I suspect that major league hitters can do that. And they hit him around a bit like they were getting a good idea of when he was throwing a breaking ball as opposed to a fastball. Um, but Gonzalez looked like a better pitcher on Saturday uh, with that cutter change and fastball. Um, but the difference between the two, in my opinion, is even though Marco Gonzalez was sold as a college pitcher with polish at the time the Cardinals drafted him, that's certainly true. But that's polish compared to other uh, amateurs in the draft, high school pitchers and college pitchers. Tyler Lyons has the type of polish that you hope Marco Gonzalez will have either next year, two years, or three years from now. And so I think with such high stakes and such a tight pennant race, uh, I would want to go with Lions because he's a little bit more experienced at the professional level, and that manifests itself with the ability he has uh, to locate his pitches, um, his entire repertoire. And I, I think he has the ability to succeed at the major league level. Um, and hopefully it'll be uh, during the month of September. Now, uh, whoever it is, they're probably, as you indicated, going to be a bit of a placeholder in the hopes that Waka's shoulder responds in a way that allows him to return to the major league rotation and pitch effectively. Uh, what have you, what have you heard about his start in uh, Springfield on Sunday? Well, actually, uh, we, we all got a little message from someone who is at the start um, in Springfield, and all it sounded like there were good reports. It sounded like he was touching his fastball up to 96, which, if you know the, the guns in AA, that, that's, <laughs> that's kind of because 
Sam Tuivalala was throwing like 104 on certain guns. So it might be a little amped up, um, but regardless, that's good to hear that he's hitting that that speed, especially given that's his first rehab start. Um, But other than that, like 34 pitches, and if he came out of it okay and we still haven't heard anything negative, um, it should be seen as a good sign, a good start. Yeah, 34 pitches, 24 for strikes, a walk issued, and a strikeout. Um, But this, to me, it just it feels like – you know, an early spring training start to me. And I look at the calendar and it's September 1st. I feel like maybe it's maybe not March 1st, but maybe March 10th. And you kind of look at it and it's, uh, do you think Joe that the Cardinals should push him into the major league rotation? If, if he isn't even throwing 75 pitches in a game. Well, I've made my opinion known on the on the Waka situation for a while. Um, when they made those those two trades for Masterson and Lackey, which obviously we've already discussed, the Masterson one hasn't really worked out just yet, if at all. Um, I kind of wanted them to be even more cautious with Waka than they already have been, but since he's back and like you said, he he had a start and he, his velocity looked okay, um, looked good based on the gun reading, uh, but yeah, it does seem like an early spring training start, and it is not early spring training. We're, they're one game up in September 1st, and to get to that 75 pitches a game, you're going to have to push him over double that the next start, um, and maybe three times that the next start, and it's kind of piggybacking off of what you said earlier with Masterson, do they really want to work on a project at the big league level when they're chasing a a division crown? Or do they want to go with a guy who's proven that he's healthy in Tyler Lyons or Gonzalez, who's been healthy and knock on wood for both of them in regards to health because they're pitchers. But do you want to go with a project or do you want to go with a guy who's been throwing – 80 plus pitches in appearance are a start the whole entire season. And that's, and that's a very great point, Joe, is the Cardinals have to look at it. Do you want to, do you want to go with a Lions or a Gonzalez who might be able to give you 90 plus pitches on a given day? Or do you want to call up Waka and, you know, Matheny and Mosellock, the Cardinals staff, I hope that they have his shoulder health in the back of their minds. Um, but do you call up Waka, who we've seen be so good, and say, you know what? If this kid only gives us 75 pitches, we're okay with that. And, and do you roll the dice on that, that he is at a point and we don't know if he's at this point. And another wonderful tidbit that uh, Gould dropped in the best podcast in baseball was that Waka told him uh, after his uh, simulated game in Springfield that he did not feel that his stuff was at the point where he could, with confidence, go into a major league game and get batters out. 
Now, I think that Waka is going to have frank discussions with the Cardinals staff in that regard, and the Cardinals aren't going to say, well, you know, Michael, your stuff looks pretty good to us, so get out there and try and get some of these brewers out for us. Um, I I think they're going to uh, probably respectfully listen to Waka's assessment of his own stuff. Um, But I wonder if he's able to deploy the Michael Waka arsenal at the level of effectiveness that he feels he needs to get major league batters out, but he's only able to do it for 75 or 80 batters. Do they pair him with another starter who would be ready to come in, in, in long relief? And I proposed it was just sort of more amusing post on the Sunday morning yesterday, uh, the Sunday morning before labor day, you know, what about a Carlos Martinez tandem with Michael Waka, you have Waka go three, four, five innings, and then Martinez comes in. Well, today we saw Matheny deploy Martinez in a high leverage situation, so it seems as if Martinez might be once again ascending to the setup role that he held last year in the playoffs. But nonetheless, you still have Lions and Gonzalez. What about a righty-lefty tandem? Do you think that's something the Cardinals might consider if Waka's stamina isn't up to 90, 95 pitches by the last couple weeks of September? I think they would have to do that because as Craig Edwards, one of our editors, tweeted uh, five games ago now, it's crazy to think that we have that many games this weekend, but they're playing a lot of games in the, almost the same amount of days and a lot of day games after night games and that doesn't really affect the pitcher. I mean, a day is a day. Day after night doesn't really matter. But the fact that they're playing almost the same amount of games as days, they're going to have to be efficient with the bullpen. And if they have a guy or two dedicated to being long relief and only long relief and not going in there and throwing eight pitches and being wasted for the next day or something, like with Lions or like with Gonzalez, then I think that could work. But the problem you run into with that is can Matheny employ such a tandem effectively? And can he know when Waka or when Tyler Lyons is out of gas to bring in that tan- that second part of the tandem? And that's opening a whole new can of worms there. Well, today the calendar changed from August to September, and that means that Major League rosters expand for September call-ups. And Joe, a couple of weeks ago, you looked at who you thought the potential candidates were for the Cardinals to call up to bolster their bench down the September home stretch of the pennant race. And as we sit here today... Uh, what surprises you, and, and what do you think is expected in the Cardinals' moves over uh, the last few days? Well, yeah, in the post I talked about uh, Randall Gritchick, which, as we know, is already up. I talked about Greg Garcia, who I believe will be up eventually, maybe. I don't know. With Cosma up, that might be a little bit different um, than with I talked about Tommy Pham and Xavier Scruggs, which I'll touch on in a little bit. And then I talked about Tyler Lyons, very, very short little piece on him. But as we know, he's already up as well. So um, 
in regards to surprises, uh, I haven't, I don't really have any yet. And as you're going to touch on in a little bit in regards to Memphis, I feel like there might be two players that, though the Cardinals are saying one thing, I don't know if they'll be up right away in Xavier Scruggs and Tommy Pham. So if you want to touch a little bit on uh, Memphis and the Cardinals' belief with their or their their thought process with call-ups, uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say regarding that. Well, folks may or may not know that Memphis is qualified for the postseason, so they're in the AAA playoffs. And the Cardinals have indicated that Memphis uh, having that success is not going to impact the Cardinals' decision on who is going to be called up to help the Major League Club. If they think that Memphis Redbirds players can help the Major League Club, they're going to call them up. And we've seen them do that. And the injury to Shane Robinson accelerated Randall Gritchick's call-up, I think. And I think the Cardinals have targeted him as that right-handed power bat uh, that they can start against left-handed starters and can also call on in the late innings uh, when there's a lefty reliever. And Gritchick has that added flexibility because he's able to play center field and the corner outfield positions. So he is a nice addition to the bench. Uh, he brings the chance for, you know, a double, or he might whack one out of the park. He has a lot of power. Now, he's going to swing and miss a lot, too, but he's certainly a lot more dangerous than Shane Robinson when he digs into the batter's box. Uh, one of the moves that I thought was interesting, um, and this actually happened uh, sort of over the span of several days, the Cardinals demoted Greg Garcia called up Lions to bolster the, the pitching staff. And then they sent uh, Garcia down, and that left Daniel Descalso as the only uh, infielder on the bench. And they ultimately replaced Garcia with Pete Cosma, a blast from the past. Um, he was starting at shortstop for Memphis down there, the home stretch of their playoff push. But the Cardinals uh, recalled him to the majors, and then they're sending Garcia to Memphis. So Garcia will be the starting shortstop uh, for Memphis in their playoffs. And I don't know if they view Garcia as redundant to Daniel Descalso and Pete Cosma as more complimentary because Descalso is a left-handed hitter and Pete Cosma is a right-handed hitter. But it seems like we may not see much of Greg Garcia uh, on the Cardinals bench or in Cardinals games during September. But the case that I find most interesting is Tommy Pham. And General Manager John Mosellock has given some interviews where he indicated that he was intrigued by Pham and that we might see Pham up when the roster is expanded in September. Uh, but we haven't seen that, Joe. And what do you think the calculus is there by the Cardinals? Um. I don't. I, I honestly don't know because, as we were discussing off air, uh, the it's probably based on the cardinal how the Cardinals view Tommy Pham. It's probably in their best interest to protect him, and by protecting him, they have to put him on the forty man either now or at, or just after the season. They have a chance to assign him to the forty man roster. Um, so there, there's a good chance and as you said Mosellox noted it that they're going to call him up in September but with Gritchick already available 
with Gutschik already on the 25-man roster and already being able to play all the positions that Pham plays, it, it kind of like you said with Garcia being redundant, possibly, that, that's our assumption, that's not what they said, to Descalso, would Pham be redundant to Gritchick. Now, Pham brings another element. He can he can run the bases a little bit. He is a pretty good hitter, too, and he's, he's got higher contact rates than Gritchick. But ideally, you're not going to be using that many bench players down the stretch. Ideally, you're having your, your starting eight in the lineup playing the majority of the game. And, and will there be at-bats for a fifth outfielder and for a sixth outfielder. Um, and especially if they're both right-handed bats off the bench, like I, I don't know what Pham's future holds, but if we go by what we've heard from Moselock, he, and what the Cardinals have made known about how they handle the, the minor league playoffs versus the major league stretch push, I, you would think Pham would get his shot with the Cardinals sometime soon. Well, and one thing that we do need to look at is the Cardinals do have a pretty crowded 40-man roster. It's got 39 guys on it right now, and the 40th is probably Michael Waka, uh, here hopefully in a couple weeks. And so to add Fam or add a Scruggs, they'd have to clear a spot for uh, that player. And it might be just an instance of the Cardinals not seeing enough benefit to the major league club uh, to have either of those players on the bench to justify making a decision about their 40-man roster status right now. And so they might just be put, kicking that can down the road, so to speak, uh, and they'll make it uh, before the deadline, before the Rule 5 draft, uh, whether or not they're going to add uh, those players to the 40-man roster. But it it was interesting to me, and I think you're onto something with the redundancy. I think, you know, there are only so many pinch hit opportunities and spot starts available for a right-handed outfielder who can play center or a corner position, and those are going to Gritchick, who's already on the Ford end and already on the team uh, due to the Robinson injury. And I think that's why we haven't seen Fam, and it's why you know I've indicated in some of my discussions with Eric. Uh, and and some of my other Cardinals fans' friends that even though I have always liked Fam and found him intriguing, it would not surprise me if Fam never uh, never makes plate appearance for the St. Louis Cardinals. All right, before we close things out on episode two of the Viva Alberto's podcast, I wanted to give everyone a really quick update on the website's Cardinals Care Charity Six K activity. Viva El Gallos, which is the primary uh, Viva Alberto's team, has raised $7,098. That is the tops of any team participating in the Cardinals Care 6K. And that that means that for the third consecutive year, uh, a Viva Alberto's sponsored team is number one in fundraising at the Cardinals Care Charity 6K. And I just think it's incredible. It's one of my favorite things that we do. And yet again, uh, your charitable donations uh, have overwhelmed me, and it makes me really happy to be a part of the website and to be a part of such a kind and giving community. I think it's really terrific. Our second Viva Alberto's team, Viva Alberto's 2, has raised $505. So combined, 
the Viva Alberto's community has raised over $7,600 for Cardinals Care. And we're going to be running in the charity 6K this coming weekend. Um, I will be driving down to St. Louis for the weekend. It occurred to me that this is the first time that I will go to St. Louis when the St. Louis Cardinals are not playing baseball in 10 years. And I'm doing that to be a part of uh, the charity 6K run. I'm really proud and so thankful that everyone has been so kind and given so much money. It's really awesome. And I can't wait uh, to run with everyone in the 6K. I think it's going to be a great time. So for Joe Schwartz, who I want to thank for joining me this week on the Viva Alberto's podcast, this is Ben Humphrey signing off. Go first place Cardinals. <laughs>